Hey, brother. Richard is my name. Um, Ephesians chapter 1. Let's pray this. Blessed be you, Lord God Almighty, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. And just as you have chosen us in you before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame. We praise you, Father, that you've made us holy and without blame and predestined us as adoption as sons, sons of the Almighty, sons of Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of your grace, Lord God. And we pray that you will show us and open up your scriptures today, open up your word today, open up those things that Doug is going to share with us today, and that today he will be revelatory in the things that he purposes in what he's going to be saying. And Doug, you're going to be having prophecies brought forth in your life and fulfilled in your life, uh, and uh, those things that you've been praying for for a long time, they're going to be coming to pass in the very near future. And so be of good courage, my son, for you have uh, sought forth the truth and the word of God and lived it out before men. Thank you, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Yeah. All right, uh, first of all, I just want to say um, thank you. Uh, last... Uh, October, my wife was diagnosed with uh, colon cancer, stage three. And um, through some surgery and some prayer and a lot of prayer and a lot of prayer and a lot of prayer. Um, this past Monday, she got to ding the bell at Highlands. Uh, chemo is done and cancer free as of now. So, so you, you know, we, we let out a big hallelujah as we dang the bell. And uh, that was pretty cool. And uh, I just want to say thank you guys, because I know uh, a lot of you were praying, just about every one of you we talked about a little bit, and uh, just thank you so much uh, for the prayers, and, uh, you know, and continued. Uh, there's others battling the same thing, and uh, after, it's, it's really never done, because you have to get back to some normalcy, and whatever that is. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I know I've had battles uh, myself, um, and try, trying to to work through the marriage with the situation, you know, when to coddle and, and when to step away. And, and those that have been through it know that. And, and I know that, uh, you know, Paul here in my foxhole, he went through it a couple years ago with his wife and he was valuable, uh, just to say, Hey, whew, help. <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, we dang the bell, dang it, boom, we're done for now, hopefully forever. And just thank you so much for the prayers, uh, from convoy here. And, uh, they were definitely felt. Thank you. Good morning, guys. It is good to finally be back with you. Um, for those of you who don't know me or who are new, my name's Doug. Uh, I work on staff here at Fellowship with the Mosaic Congregation. Uh, my friend Tom was asking me, he said, now, what do you do here? And I've been asking that for about eight years now. And... Uh, <laughs> I, I've, I've had the, one of those positions where the job description just kind of morphs as it goes along. But right now, uh, my responsibilities lie in the area of global outreach missions um, and our core training, teaching our classes uh, within the Mosaic congregation. Um, and it's just been a joy. I, I 
I love what I do, and uh, uh, I'll share a quick story with you because I think it's a good man's story. Um, about a year and a half ago, we were doing a st- uh, kind of a pastor's staff retreat, and Mark Schatzman, who's our congregational leader, um, he said, in preparation for this retreat, I want all of you to be asking the question, what's next for you in ministry? You guys ever ask that question for yourself? You know, what's next for me? Um, well, part of what's next for me was uh, this past summer, I turned 55, which is still really young. I mean, I got, I don't know, <laughs> 10 good years left in me. I don't know. Um, <laughs> But it just dawned on me as I was praying through that, Lord, what's next for me might well be what's last for me. I don't, I don't really want to do a whole lot more changing. You know, one, one last run, whatever that is, you know, 20 years or whatever he gives me. Uh, but I, it just dawned on me, well, what's next for me may well be what's last for me. And so I just began praying, Lord, help me catch a vision for what, how you want me to finish now, again, I'm still young. I don't feel like I'm, you know, I, I can just barely see the finish line out there. Um, but I want to finish well. And so I just began to ask the Lord, show, give me a vision. Um, and all of my ministry, um, I've been in vocational ministry almost all my adult life. I've done other things as well, because sometimes you just got to feed the kids, right? You know, and uh, so I've, there have been times when I've worked three jobs at a time or whatever, but um, most of my adult life I've been in vocational ministry, but most of my ministry, I have been two or three levels back away from the front lines, um, kind of just doing discipleship and coaching and pastoring within existing churches and never felt God called me to the mission field or to be on those front lines of taking the gospel where it's not. But I've always just had a passion uh, that I wanted to be a part of that happening. So God has used me in churches to, to kind of support missionaries and all that. Um, but as I began praying, I said, Lord, I, I don't think you're calling me to go to the front lines. I'm kind of hoping you're not. Um, you know, at my age, to, to, to completely change cultures would be, a, would be a huge challenge for me. But Lord, would you let me put my hands on, on men and women who are living on the front lines would you let me be like Aaron and her who held up the hands of Moses? Would you let me be a hand holder? Would you let me be a supporter? Would you let me somehow be able to, to help those people thrive and, and do well while they're taking the gospel to places where it's not? And that's when this position really began to open up and explode. And I feel like God has answered my prayer. And just out of his goodness and kindness, he's given me something a vision for how to finish well. Um, and so hopefully that's a little bit of an encouragement to some of you guys as you're thinking about what's next for you. Don't be afraid to ask God for something that's just the desire of your heart. Um, the Bible tells us if we commit our ways to him, then he will give us the desires of our heart. And he'll give you something that'll bring joy and satisfaction, fulfillment, um, purpose, all of those things that he intended us to have from the very beginning, he'll, he'll give you that. So that's a little bit about me. Um, but to, to kind of shift into what we're going to be talking about this morning, to just you know, be a little bit transparent, I, um, as an adult especially, I, there have been different things that have happened in my life, and I won't go through all the, the details other than just the, they have resulted in, sometimes I have trust issues. Anybody have trust issues? 
Some of you guys don't have any trouble. You trust people, and I mean, it's just, it's easy for you. Um, my trust issues, this is kind of how they work, they work their way out in me. Um, I know that I cannot go through life without having to depend on other people in my life. I can't, you know, it's just not possible to do that. So I just assume they're all going to let me down. That's a terrible way to live, guys, but that's really kind of where I've landed in my trust issues. Is I, if you just assume that these people that you have to depend on will eventually let you down, then you're not shocked when it happens, right? And you kind of always, you're just a little bit prepared for it. You're always just a little reserved, and you're holding back so that when they do let you down, it's not devastating in your life. So I struggle with trust issues. That's something you know, that, that I work with and grow in and all that. The problem is, guys, again, to be perfectly transparent, that happens in my relationship with God. Now, I don't have to trust Blake implicitly because he doesn't have a significant responsibility for me. But God has all the responsibility for me. And when I don't trust him, we got a real issue going on. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because as we move forward in in Convoy, we're moving you towards the idea of our action plan. Remember? Remember the action plan? And the first part of the action plan is what? What does the A stand for? Abide. In order to abide, there's nothing but relationship in that word. That's just a big relationship word. And every relationship in your life is based on trust. All of them. It's based on trust. And you just think about it, just process it for a minute. The depth of your relationship is going to be directly uh, correlated to the amount of trust you have with that person that you're in relationship with. And if God calls us to such an intimate relationship that he calls it abiding and describes it like being a branch who is attached to a vine. Abide in me, and I'll abide in you, and, we're going to, and I'm going to, my life is going to flow into you. If we're going to have that level of intimacy and relationship, that requires a lot of trust, doesn't it? In fact, um, what, is this, what is the phrase that comes from, uh, from, the, from the journey? Personal abandonment. Absolute trust. Absolute. That's what God calls us to, guys. So what do we do? How do we, how do we move from that? The core uh, of the values of Convoy, Convoy is the belief that, that a godly man, being a godly man is both a calling and an invitation from God. And to fully embrace that calling and invitation is, among other things, an act of trust. I can and will abandon my self-reliance only to the extent that I can trust. And I can only trust if I believe the person I'm trusting is trustworthy. So what we're going to talk about this morning is why should we trust God? Who is this God that is calling us to trust Him? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Now, in, and then in a couple of weeks, I'm going to kind of follow that up with um, kind of moving into, once we kind of get an idea of who God is, what's he about? 
What is it that he's inviting us into? This idea of, of what does it mean to be a part of this king and his, uh, this kingdom that this king is bringing in. But today I just want to talk to you about the king. I want to talk to you about who is this God who is calling and inviting us and why should we trust him? So I was thinking about, okay, how do I, how do I lay out a, just a, a good picture of God in just a handful of minutes? I mean, I've got an entire book about God, and, uh, and I don't have all t- time to read the whole thing to you today. So here's what we're going to do. John chapter 14, and we're not going to go there, but if you want to go to John 1, that's where we're going to really camp this morning for just a few minutes. But John chapter 14, Jesus tells his disciples, uh, he said, if you have known me, you would have known my father. And one of the disciples, Philip, says, well, Lord, show us the father. Just show us the Father. That's enough for me. If you'll show me what the Father is like, then, I, then I have, I'll be good. And Jesus says, now get this, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Recently I heard someone say, and this, this has just resonated in my head, so hopefully it speaks to you the same way it did me. There is no God in heaven that doesn't look like Jesus. Okay, think about that. There is no God in heaven that doesn't look like Jesus. If that is true, and I believe it is because I believe that's what Jesus was saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am the express image. Um, According to Colossians, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, well, just look at Jesus. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the light was the light of the men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelled among us. And we've seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side has made him known. John is telling us, let me give you just a little bit of context because I think it's important to know what, why is John saying all this? John is probably the last of the four Gospels to be written and may have been close to one of the last books of the Bible to actually be written. And so you have Matthew, Mark, and Luke that were writing early on, uh, not long after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. 
telling the stories of, of kind of what Jesus taught and what he was like and all that. John comes kind of at the end of the, of the age. So towards the end of the first century, the church has begun to be established and expand. And, and false teaching has come in. And people have been questioning, was Jesus really God? And so John begins his gospel. Matthew begins his gospel with a birth story. Luke begins his gospel with a birth story. John also begins his gospel with a birth story, but it's a little bit different, isn't it? Matthew has a genealogy that kind of goes through uh, Abraham, David, Jesus. Luke has a genealogy that goes back all the way to Adam. John has a genealogy that says, well, in the beginning was the Word. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning, God. And so he, and then he, so he begins talking about that. The beginning was the word, and he describes what this word is like, and then he closes that passage we read with, and that word is Jesus Christ. And then he says, no man has seen God. But if you want to know what he's like, Jesus has revealed him to us. So just from this passage, I'm going to point out three characteristics of God that I think is important for us to know that, that help lay the foundation of why is God trustworthy? First of all, because God is great. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. So he talks about what, what makes God great. First of all, He's eternal. Um, one of the things that has, has been helpful to me is, is just to go ahead and admit things that are temporal, us, we cannot grasp things that are eternal. Everything in our thinking has a timeline. We don't know what it's like to not have a beginning. We don't know what it's like to not have uh, the progression of time that rules over us. It dominates our life. It has every part. I mentioned I'm, you know, I'm 55. I'm still young. But you know what? I've got fewer days in front of me than I do behind me. That's just a reality. Why? Because I am part of time. I'm a creature of time. I live in the line of time. And many of my issues and many of my struggles and many of my problems are directly related to the fact that I live in a temporal world. And my God needs to be bigger than that. I need a God who's not going to go away someday. I need a God who's not getting older and feebler and weaker. I need a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's what the Bible tells me about Jesus. He is eternal. In the beginning, there was a time when there was nothing and my Lord Jesus stepped out into the middle of nowhere because there was nowhere to step. He took a handful of nothing because there was nothing to take. And he threw it in the middle of nowhere and made something. And that's what we have. That's the God we have. He is eternal. Secondly, he's the creator. Not only do my problems come from living in time, my problems come uh, from living in a broken creation. I didn't make this mess, I just contribute to it, right? But I know the guy who made it, 
And he's the one who can put it back the way it was supposed to be. Look what it says about Jesus. It says, all things were made through him. And without him, without him, was not anything made that was made. The one who is inviting me into this abiding, the one who is inviting me into this relationship is the one who made it all. He's the one who made the stuff that I'm wrestling with. He's the one who made the stuff that I'm trying to, to keep from destroying me. He made this world. He made this life. He made me. Not anything was made without him. And then to kind of tag on to that, in Colossians chapter 1.17, he goes on, he says, he was before all things, so his eternality, and in him all things hold together. I remember in high school, <clears throat> back then the history books were a lot thinner, uh, but I remember in high school that we still talked about um, the threat of nuclear war. We didn't do the nuclear drills uh, in, when I was in high school because we had figured out if, if the nuclear war happened, it didn't matter if you were under your desk. <laughs> Wasn't going to help. Okay, They'd already figured that part out. We talked about um, the threat of nuclear war. Um, my, uh, my physics teacher, um, he loved to just kind of poke on our on our young minds and try to try to freak us out. And he talked about, you know, the sun's going to burn out one day. Well, there's a happy thought. And, and I don't mean to diminish things that are real issues, um, but you know, I'm not freaking out over global warming or global cooling or whatever, whichever one it is. Climate change is what we call it now. And I'm not saying it doesn't exist. You guys can believe whatever you want to about that. What I'm saying is I'm not freaking out about it. You know why? Because in him, all things are holding together. This world is not going to fall apart until he lets it fall apart. And as long as it's in his hand, he is sustaining all things. So, I, so, so that's the God that we have. He is great. He is bigger than anything that I have to wrestle with. He is bigger than anything you have to wrestle with. He is over it. He is outside of it. He is above it. He is better than that. That's the God who is inviting us to abide. God is great. And I'm going to give us some specific applications at the end. So let's move to the second thing that, I, that it tells us about God. Not only is God great, it tells us God is good. In verse 4, he says that um, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There is a theme in Scripture um, about light versus darkness. It begins in the book of Genesis, by the way, and so I think John is really echoing the creation story of Genesis in John chapter 1. You, you hear echoes of Genesis 1. That it says that in the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was out form and void, and there was darkness. And then God said, let there be light. The very first thing that God put into this creation was light. And you know what light does? It drives away darkness. 
And so throughout the scriptures, there is this, this theme of light versus darkness. And light is always representative of goodness. Just the, the moral, the, the righteous, the pure, the good, all of that is wrapped up in light. And look at what it says about God. It says, He is light. In Him was life, and the life was light. John, in, in, his, uh, in the epistle of 1 John, same guy wrote both of these, um, he just says, God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. And so what, he te- what he's telling us is, Everything that you imagine that is absolutely, purely good, that's what God is. He is good. He is the definition of goodness. He is the measure of goodness. When you try to wonder, when you try to figure out, is something good or not, you don't know this, but you're measuring it by God. He's goodness. So our God is not only great, He is good. He is the light that drives away darkness. He is the goodness that 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 drives away evil. And look what it says. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Do you ever feel like the bad guys are winning? All the time. Do you ever feel like evil is actually uh, dominating this world? Do you ever feel like Satan just might be in control? Absolutely, we feel that way. In fact, uh, Paul writes in in some of his writings, he he talks about how that it feels like that for a season that, that Satan has control of this earth and this world, that evil actually is ruling and dominating. But John tells us that the light has not been overcome by the darkness. But light itself overcomes darkness. So we have light versus darkness, and, and we have absolute, complete goodness. So here, this is something, again, we're talking about why can we trust God? We can trust God because He's great. We can trust God because He's good. Because if He is goodness, everything He does is good. Everything. And everything he chooses not to do, he chooses not to do it because that choice is good. And I'm going to let you sit in on that, sit in that for just a second because you all know there have been things you've asked God to do that he's not done, and it's made you question his goodness. God, why didn't you do this? Why wouldn't you do this? Are you not a good God? Or you've seen evil look like it was triumphing. You've seen a horrible thing uh, happen. It may have happened in your life. It may have happened to you. And you say, how could a good God let that happen? Why didn't he do something about it? And I'm standing here telling you everything God does or does not do is because of his goodness. Number three, why can we trust God? Because God is gracious. Skip down to verse 12. He says, 
To all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the rights to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then uh, verse 16, he says, From his fullness we've all received grace upon grace. God is gracious. First of all, he talks about how grace is demonstrated to us. That God, the, the word becoming flesh, Jesus becoming human, what we call the incarnation. And there, I mean, if you just, if you like to think about things that just blow your fuses, how do you take an infinite, absolutely limitless God and shove him into a human body? That'll fry your fuses right there. But it happened. And so the fact that, that God would take on flesh would become one of us, just that, just that by itself. Forget about the, the work of Jesus that, that he came to do. Just the fact that he would come and dwell among us. Isn't that grace? Genesis chapter 1 and 2 tells us that when God made Adam and Eve and he put them in the garden, it said that, that he would come and walk with them in the garden. God built us for the sole purpose of having a relationship with him. That's what he wants. This God who is bigger than everything, who is great and who is glorious and who is good, wants a relationship with you and me. That is grace just by itself. In fact, um, John uses the word when he said the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Got to watch my time here. Um, it's 535. We're here for a while, right? Okay, anyway. Um, anyway, it says, when he says the word became flesh and dwelt among us, he uses the word tabernacle. He tabernacled among us. And that reaches back into the story of the Israelites when they were traveling from Egypt going to the promised land. God built a tent where his presence would dwell and it was always in the middle of the camp. And that's what John was saying. Jesus came and put on the tent of flesh and he lived in the middle of us. He was right there in the center and the presence of God was in our midst in a way that had not been before. That's grace, that God would do that. Grace is not that, that, that God sits in heaven and occasionally leans an ear. That would be gracious. Grace is not that God sits in heaven, and when we do enough good stuff, He finally allows us to, to come into His presence. That would be grace. But grace, He tells us, is that God wrapped himself into a human body, it came, to, a, came to, to walk on this earth to be in the middle of humanity. That's the demonstration of grace. And then look at what he says. How, how far does grace go? From his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. It's a beautiful picture. It's the idea of he just keeps stacking grace. One level on top of another until we can't see the top of it anymore. Paul writes it this way. He says, where sin abounded, grace abounded more. 
You know what that tells me? That tells me that no matter how rotten to the core I feel like I am, God's grace is a little more than that. And then a little more than that. And then stacked on top of that. It tells me that no matter how bad I blow it, no matter how deeply I am scarred and wounded, no matter what I've done or what's been done to me, there's always more grace than there is sin. Grace on top of grace, he says. So what's the application? If God is great, if God is good, if God is gracious, can I trust someone who is powerful, good, and gracious? What does it mean? Well, because God is grace, is great, I don't have to be in control. That whatever control, by the way, control is an illusion, but whatever control I feel like I'm giving up, I can trust him because he's greater than that. God is greater than my job. God is greater than my marriage. God is greater than my kids. God is greater than disease. God is greater than sin. God is greater than age. God is greater than evil. He's bigger. He's stronger. And there is nothing that I'm trying to control that he's not bigger than. So if God is great, I can trust him. I don't have to control. And like I said, control is an illusion. Here's a great, one of the best illustrations I ever heard. Somebody was talking about control being an illusion. Said, next time you think you're in control and you're driving down the road, do you realize that everybody else in, in all those cars around you, you have no control over what they do. <laughs> and all they have to do is do something stupid like just cut you off and that could end your life and you are not in control. Control is an illusion, but God's in control. God is great, so I don't have to control. Number two, because God is good, I don't have to look elsewhere for my needs. Because God is good, he promises, my God will supply all your need according to his riches. God is good, so I can trust him to meet my needs. And I don't have to run to other people. I don't have to run to other things. I don't have to run to other feelings or experiences. I don't have to run uh, to, to alcohol or pornography or to, other, uh, or to women or to power or to work or to money or to my 401k. None of that. I don't have to run to any of that to get my needs met. God is good and I can trust him to meet my needs. And third, because God is gracious, I don't have to prove myself. I don't have to measure up. I don't have to be good enough. I don't have to be pure enough, clean enough, smart enough. I don't have to work enough. God is gracious, and what he offers to me, he offers to me out of the goodness and the gracious nature of his heart. God has never said to me, Doug, when you finally get your crap together, get your head out of your backside and decide to be a good person, come talk to me. He's never said that to me. 
reason I say that is because words almost exactly like that have come out of my mouth to my son. And I think, boy, my father is so much better than his father. (laughs) But he's never said that to me. Why? Because he's gracious. In fact, he comes to me and says, Doug, it is because your stuff's not together. It's because you tend to have your head up your backside. It's because you're making stupid decisions that you need my grace every single moment of every single day. It's because you're not good enough. That's what grace is. Because God is gracious, I don't have to measure up. I don't have to prove myself. I don't have to do and do and do in order for God to finally say, okay, good enough, come on in. Now, I want you to think about your situation, your circumstance, your life right this moment as you walked in this morning. If you're like me, you walked in this morning, there's some part of your life that you're wrestling to trust God with. And you're saying, when you and I, when we wrestle with trusting God, what we're saying is, I just don't know if God is trustworthy. So, in your life, is it an area of control? And maybe you just need to be reminded this morning, God is great. You can give that up. You can release it. You can trust him. Or maybe it's a wound or a fear or a pain that you're struggling with. And you just don't know if God's good enough. And you don't know if he's really trustworthy. Does he really care? And maybe what you need to hear is God is good and you don't have to look elsewhere. You can trust him to be good enough to meet your needs. Or maybe you've come in on that treadmill of trying to measure up, trying to measure up, trying to measure up, trying to make yourself feel good about yourself, trying to make other people feel good about you, trying to make somebody in your life happy so that then they can turn around and affirm you and tell you what a good person you are. And you're on that treadmill knowing it, even if I make it happen for a moment today, it's not going to last. You just know that. And you don't know if you can trust God enough to just say, God, here I am. The mess that I am, the, the thing, you know, if I strip the facade. By the way, I love you all. Please keep your masks on most of the time. I don't want to see all that ugliness inside of you all the time. You know, I'm kidding. But that's what we do. We put that mask on because we don't want everybody to know. If you were to look in my heart, you'd go, oh my goodness, that guy's no, he's, he's worse than I and make me feel good about myself. But anyway, but when we stand before God, are we afraid to pull the mask and say, God, this is what it really is inside. You may not think God is gracious enough that you can do that. Maybe what you need to hear this morning is, God is gracious, grace upon grace upon grace. Okay? But I want you to think about, if you believed, truly believe that God is great, God is good, and God is gracious, how would that change your life today?
Friday, February 1st, 2019. Not tomorrow. Sufficient for the day is the evil thereof. I'm not asking you to live for God tomorrow. I'm asking you to trust God today. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that when we look at you, we see everything that God is. Because, Lord, just to be honest, um, I just needed my God to put skin on to be able to, to truly relate and understand. And I am so grateful that that's what you did. And, Lord, when I look at you and who you are, um, I'm reminded that you are trustworthy. Lord, I feel like the guy who, who fell on his knees and said, Lord, I believe, but just help my unbelief. Lord, I trust, but help my lack of trust. I want to trust you more. I want to release control. I, I want to, to, to depend upon your goodness. Lord, I want to walk in your grace. And I struggle with that every single day. And I feel like these guys are probably the same place I am. So Lord, today... Today, would you help us to trust you more? Would you remind us of how trustworthy you are? Lord, we hear you calling us to abide, and we know that abiding requires trust and, and relationship. And to be honest, we, we just need to be reminded that we can trust you so that we can abide. And Lord, many of us have trust issues for a lot of reasons. Uh, we may be wounded and hurt by our past by ourselves, by other people, just by the broken world we live in. And we're scrambling around trying to protect ourselves and trying to meet our own needs and trying to measure up. And, and Lord, we just we get caught up in that. And would you just for a moment, would you break through that with us? And would you just remind us that we can trust you? So Lord, as we take some time to think and pray about that, talk to one another in community. Lord, as we walk out of here today and, and interact with one another throughout the next couple of weeks, would you just keep reminding us of these truths that we've talked about this morning, that you are great, that you are good, and you are gracious. Let's pray this in Jesus' name.